Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim continues in our mini-series as we study the life of Abraham. This week, we take a look at some aspects of Abraham's character that help us understand a little more about our relationship with God. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, hey, if, uh, if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're with us uh, on uh, this spring break week. I know that there's probably a lot of people who are off traveling, but you're here, and I'm grateful that you're here. And, uh, and kids... You're with us in the service. Normally we have a kids program, and, uh, and so our kids don't always get to worship here with us, but uh, kids, we're glad you're with us this morning. Um, are you all on spring break? Is everyone on spring break right now? Yeah. You are on spring break. All right. Uh, <laughs> yes. I felt the same way um, before I had kids. <laughs> uh, but we're glad you're with us, um, and... Uh, and uh, kids, uh, I'm grateful that you get to listen in and, uh, and worship with us. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. Genesis chapter 12. Oh, by the way, let me say this. Uh, if you do have kids with us, um, <clears throat> uh, we say this every time there's kids in the service, but uh, we anticipate and expect your kids are our kids. And so um, this, this whole idea that kids should sit like statues and uh, just be perfect, that, that's a myth, and we should never, we should always reject that myth. Uh, in fact, I think first service... Um, there was like a little mutiny happening over here. I don't know. I just tried to avoid looking that direction because it was, remember the movie Lord of the Rings or the book, The Lord of the Rings? Uh, or not Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies. Remember that one? It was like they were passing around a conch. Like the kids were ready to be done. Um, and full disclosure, uh, I had forgotten that uh, it's spring break week and that the kids were with us when I wrote this, the message. So like we have a spot. If you see me just try to like land the plane, all of a sudden like, well, Tim's just being done. Uh, I'm reading the room. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'll work with you. Um, but we're going to be in Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis 12. So uh, last week, we turned a corner in our Genesis story. So the first 11 and a half chapters really are about building a foundation. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 and a half really is about establishing who is, who is God? What is God like? Is he good? Is he trustworthy? Uh, and what are people like? Will they partner with God? Will they... Can, can God trust them to be his partners? Uh, that's the foundation. And then we, uh, in chapter 11 and a half, we are introduced to this man named Abram, later Abraham. And uh, Abram will, it'll be through Abram and his family that God will say, okay, now I finally found a man who uh, he and his family can be trusted to take the story somewhere. Uh, they'll actually be partners who I can, uh, through them, we can bless the whole world. So I can partner with this family. And the question that uh, we're, we began asking last week, and we're going to continue to ask through this whole Abraham section of Genesis, is, is really the question of why Abraham? What is it about Abraham that, that God says, I see something in this guy that he can be trusted with the whole story? I mean, he's not a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. He's not perfect. Uh, he, he makes a lot of mistakes, actually. But, but there is something different about Abraham. Um, he's different than Adam and Eve before him and Cain uh, and uh, Noah and his kids and, and that generation at the Tower of Babel. He's different. And, and so we are asking the question and trying to peel this back layer by layer, story by story. What's different about Abraham? 
Last week, we talked about how one of the things that is interesting and different about Abraham is when God calls Abraham, Abraham has the courage to actually do what no one before him was willing to do, step out into an unknown land. So last week, we talked about courage. I want to add a couple layers to the story. Now, at some level, um, just to, to recap last week a little bit, when Abram steps out, it seems like an obvious, of course you're going to step out. Because when Abram first steps out, God says, I need you to step into a foreign land, an unknown land, but he gives him a promise. And when you read through the promise in chapter 12, uh, it's a pretty incredible promise. It's the kind of promise that if God were to break in and say, here's a promise spoken over you, it, it can give you the courage to step out. Um, this is the, the promise. Tell me if this does not sound like a sweet deal. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 2. <clears throat> God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. That sounds pretty, pretty great, right? Like, it's not just going to be you. I'll make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. Okay, sweet deal, number two. Um, I will make your name great. That's number three. And you will be a blessing. Sweet deal, number four. But it gets better. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. Awesome. And uh, whoever curses you, I will curse. Oh, okay. Um, that feels like a little bit too much power, but expelliamos. Uh, and all people on earth <laughs> will be blessed through you. Yes. It, if you left the story there, it sounds like this is going to go incredibly smooth for Abram. God says, step out. Yeah, that's going to take some courage. But once you step out, like it's going to be, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. All people will be blessed through you. Whatever you, whoever you curse, I'll curse. Whoever you bless, I'll bless. You're the one who's going to bless the world, Abram. I'm expecting that the story smooth sailing from here. Except when you actually get into the story, before he's going to see any of the, the promises of the promised land, what you discover is Abram initially, first and foremost, is going to step into some really tough stuff. Um, so if you think about where we are uh, in the church calendar, um, today is, is, is uh, Palm Sunday. Um, it, it's when we celebrate Palm Sunday. And uh, we often go from Palm Sunday, which is, yay, uh, Jesus is our king. And we jump, many of us, uh, if you can make it on Tuesday or, or Thursday when we're here, um, we'll slow down in the season. But for many people, it's, we jump from Palm Sunday, he's our king, to Easter Sunday, he is risen indeed. But we miss that between those is uh, a whole journey of suffering and lament and rejection. And what you discover with Abram is he's got this great promise, but as soon as he steps out, it doesn't seem so, the promise doesn't seem so promising. Uh, this is Genesis 12, verse 6. <clears throat> Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. I, I weirdly find that funny. I don't know why. It's like he's traveling and then there's a great tree. And he's like, yeah, that, that tree. Um, like we are supposed to know where the great tree of Moray is. Anyway, next line. Uh, at that, is that not funny to you all? Is that just funny to me? You ever meet that person who gives you directions and instead of being like, take a left on 72nd, they're like, the big oak tree turned left. I'm like, there's a lot of oak trees. Okay. Uh, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, this detail is huge. Okay. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. This is one of those details. When you read a story like this, easy to read right past. Uh, this is one of those details, though, that if you're an ancient audience, you slow down when you read this. God says, go. I'll bless you. You'll be a blessing. But then we read, as soon as he goes, there's already people living in the land, this, this promised land. There's already a nation there. They're known as the Canaanites. 
How do you think they respond when all of a sudden Abram shows up and says, this is my land? Okay, let's play out the scenario. Uh, Abram shows up, new land. He's got all this energy. God's told him all these great things. I'm going to be a great nation. So he knocks on the door. Hey, guys, I'm Abram. Nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, this is my family. Okay, enough with the small talk. Um, I'm wondering if Monday's too soon to move out. <laughs> Nobody, no, well, no, like, we're going to take your house now. Thank you. Um, you did a nice job with it. No, the Lord told us it's ours now. Like, how would you respond if somebody walked up to your house and said, I'm going to need you to move out? The Lord told me I get your house now. My hunch is you're going to put up a bit of a fight. Right, that's my hunch. If somebody came and said, really? Oh, God told you that? Okay, well, I mean, my family lives here now, so I'm sorry. You're going to put up a bit of a fight, which is exactly what the Canaanites will do. Most of your Old Testament, at least the first half of your Old Testament, is these Canaanites putting up the fight. Now, who are the Canaanites? Uh, Let me give you a little backdrop on the Canaanites. We'll call this Canaanites 101. So there's a crash course on Canaanites. This is not the first time we bump into this group of people. Uh, The first time we bump into this group of people is uh, Genesis chapter 9. Now let me refresh your brain on the story of Genesis 9. Um, It was a story of a man named Noah. He and his family go on a little boat ride, if you remember the story. And uh, he gets off the boat, the ark, and he plants a vineyard. And then uh, from the crop of his vineyard, he produces wine. And then he gets blackout drunk on his wine and uh, literally blacks out. And then uh, we read in the story, I know this is like PG-13, but you know, it's church. Um, Passes out, gets naked uh, after passing out. He's got three boys. And uh, two of the boys see that his dad is, their dad is naked and they, they want to cover up their dad. The third boy, a guy by the name of Ham, spelled exactly like the thing that is delicious. Uh, uh, Ham sees that his dad's naked and doesn't cover up his dad. Now, the rabbis, by the way, have a field day on... Um, it, the text alludes that something happens in this moment between Ham and Noah... I was going to talk about it until I realized, well, if kids present. So I'll let you figure out what the rabbi's debate happened there. But uh, they, they anticipate that from the text, something else happens there. Because when Noah wakes up, he is very angry at Ham. Very angry at Ham. And uh, he curses his son Ham. Actually, he doesn't curse his son Ham. He curses his son's son, a, a guy who goes by the name of Canaan. Canaan will become the father of the patriarch of the Canaanites, the guy, uh, so the land that Abraham enters into is possessed by this son who down the line has been cursed, uh, this guy named Canaan. Now here's the specific curse that Noah speaks over Canaan. Uh, This is Genesis 9, verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. That's one of the other brothers, the one that covered. Um, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. Canaan will have a bunch of kids who will become the Canaanites. Shem will have a bunch of kids who will become, eventually one of those kids will be named Abram. Abram is told by God, move into the land of the Canaanites and take it over. How do you think the Canaanites, knowing the curse, are going to respond? 
Yeah, they're pretty anti-Shem. They're pretty anti-the Shemites. They're pretty anti-Shemite. Or as we say in English, they're pretty anti-Semite. Ah, that's where we get it from. Uh, Anytime you hear that phrase, anti-Semite or anti-Semitic as relation to something that is uh, racist against the Jewish people, it comes from this, this, this line of Abraham, the line of Shem. Does it make sense? Abram's given this promise. He's told to, uh, to go into this land, and yet there are his enemies in the land. In fact, this, these enemies will continue to do battle with the people of Abram and the people of the Canaanites will continue to do battle. God says, go. I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. And yet when he goes, he's sent into a land of people who are his enemies. Have you ever felt like God, uh, God invited you to pursue this project, this job, this relationship. Go. And actually, the language you might even use is, I felt called to it. it felt like God was saying it. I don't know for sure, but it felt like a call. Uh, it felt like God was inviting me into this thing. And uh, it felt like, I know it's a risk. I know it's going to take courage to take the step, but it feels like this is what God's going to do. And so if God says to do it, he'll, he'll like bless it. He'll, he'll bless it. That's what I hear in church. He'll bless it. And then you go into it, and immediately you realize, I'm like two steps in this new land, and it's, it's like enemy territory. They don't want me here. Um, the new job isn't what I thought it was going to be. This new relationship isn't what I thought it was going to be. This new project isn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, about 13 years ago, um, I, I have a friend, and 13 years ago, uh, he, well, let me give you some backstory. He's a um, uh, he's a dentist by trade, but he's like a dental surgeon. I don't know the specific title for a dental surgeon, but he's a dental, what is it? I don't even know what it is. Oral, Oral surgeon. Yeah. I'm not an anti-dentite. I uh, just don't know the name. So, remember that reference? Uh, <laughs> Seinfeld. Um, uh, he's an oral surgeon. And, uh, and what he, um, well, we, he invited me out to coffee. We sat down at Frank's in Zealand, and he said, "Hey Tim, um, I, I was able to do this like short-term medical missionary trip, and uh, we went down to Uganda. And uh, on this trip, I just noticed that there's all these kids with cleft palates, and I um, that's my specialty. I'm like that's that's what I do. And b- back here in the states, there's a need for this, right? It's your health is dependent on it, your appearance is dependent on it, on like on, like on the surgery." But he says, uh, there's a lot of really good oral surgeons in, in this area, but I go to Uganda and there's like no one. I think I'm supposed to go to Uganda. I feel, his language was, I feel called to Uganda. And then he quoted for me uh, a quote by a guy named Frederick Beekner. I just want to share the quote because I, I think it's, I love this quote. Uh, Frederick Beekner says that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Isn't that good? The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And what he said was, you know, I, I, I love what I do. I went to school for it because I love it. I love the smile that people, for the, some of them for the first time, have the confidence of doing because I get to do this surgery. And I see this huge hunger in our world. And I think my gladness and that hunger line up. I feel called to do this. 
So we prayed, and we sent him as the church I was serving. We sent him into mission, and um, fast forward two years. Uh, he's back in the United States, and he says, hey, hey uh, Pastor Tim, can we grab, grab a cup of coffee, some breakfast? So we sit back down at, at Frank's in Zealand, and, um, and we're eating breakfast, and we kind of do some small talk, and then I ask, uh, so has it all been easy? How, uh, like, how has, I, I'm sure it's been tough, right? Like, how has the journey gone? And he, um, like, he starts crying, but not like the, like, sob, sob. It's like the, I call them dude, dude tears. You know what I mean? With dude tears, like, it's like, it's like that kind of tear. Like, he, like, he's trying to hold it back, um, but, like, something's going on in him. So I, I ask the follow-up question, like, it's not been good, is it? Like, what's, what's happening? And he said, um, he said, uh, I don't even know how to talk about this, but I've never felt more uh, lonely than I do right now in this mission field. And, um, and he said, you know, I go off to work every day, and it's, it's, I believe I'm making a difference, he said, but it's like the problem is so big that it feels like I'm not even making a dent in the problem. Like, I just, I, there's, like every day there's just more kids and more families, and it's like I just feel... And, and, like, I'm working later than I thought I'd have to, like, work, and I'm tired, and then I come home, and he had two little girls at the time. And he said, my wife and my girls, like, like they came on this because they knew that I was called into it, or they believed that. And so now I come home, and it feels like they've given up this whole life for me, and I have all of this guilt around that, and they're lonely. They don't have anyone. They don't speak the language fully. Like, they just don't have anyone. And he said... The worst part of it is, is it feels as though, like, every time I even contemplate, okay, maybe I just have to be done and I have to go home, I have this wave of guilt that comes over me. Because I believe, and I believed, but I, I still believe that this is God's calling. And yet, I stepped into God's calling and now I feel stuck. That was his word, I feel stuck. Um, and then he looks at me and he says, so what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? And I'm like, I don't, uh, what, how do you respond in that moment? What, what do I do? You have to wonder if Abram's feeling this, right? Like, okay, God, you told me, you gave me this great vision. I'm in, I'm sold. I'm going to have the courage to go. And yet the, I'm like one step into a new land and realize these people don't want me here. This nation that I'm supposed to build, like where? Because they don't want, this is enemy territory, uh, but it actually, it gets, it gets worse. It's not only that the promised land isn't exactly promising um, at first, um, but it actually gets a little bit worse. Uh, not only does he enter, enter enemy territory, but when he does, uh, he has to sever ties back home, at least most of the ties. Uh, there's this line that comes up in the text. That's e- again, it's easy to read over. Um, Genesis 12, the way it begins. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now that phrase, father's household, when we hear, like, leave your father's household, we hear, because this is our culture, um, move out of your parents' house. Not a big deal. Most of us do that at some point. Um, Leave your parents' house. But in this culture, this is a massive deal. Uh, Your father's household, uh, that phrase, father's household in Hebrew, is the phrase bait, is, uh, is house, Av, like Abi father. Av, so Beit Av, father's household. Let me hear you say Beit Av. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the Be'av father's household is a major deal. Um, it wasn't just your parents and maybe your siblings that lived in that house. It was grandpa, your uncles, your dad, your extended cousins, your, your, your whole family in one kind of family compound. Your Be'av was responsible for your protection. It was responsible for your care. Uh, before there were hospitals that you, if somebody gets sick, you can drive them to the hospital. Who cared for you? Your bait off. Your family cared for you. Before there was, uh, I got to call 911. I got to call the police. This is an unsafe environment. Who, who protected you? Your bait off protected you. So when you read that Abram leaves his bait off, he is stepping away from the protection the care, the provision of his family and stepping into a whole new land. He's going to have to build his own Beidav now. He's stepping away from it. Now, to make that matter even worse, most Beidavs had like a, a patriarch of the Beidav. They were ultimately responsible for making sure that the whole thing worked. Uh, grandpa, and then when grandpa dies, it goes to his oldest son. And then when that oldest son dies, it goes to his oldest son. Abraham is an oldest son. So when he leaves the bait off, you kind of sabotage the family. Now, we talked about last week why he might step away and in, in why that call was such a big deal. But think about it from his dad's perspective. You don't take him back. You know, the reason Jesus tells a story about uh, the prodigal son who leaves his father's bait off and then his son returns home and uh, and, and the dad comes running out and meets his son. And in our culture, that's not all that surprising because if uh, many, many of you have probably had a family member or maybe your own child who had a, a season of disobedience and they come home and of course you run and hug them. But in a Jewish culture, uh, especially the first century, to leave your Beit Av brings all this shame on the family. Dads don't run. The shocking thing about Jesus' story is that the fa- this, is the, this is the way the father treats his son. That's most likely not true for Abraham's dad. Most likely, if Abraham steps back toward home, he, you are dead to us, Abram. Okay, so here's our story so far. Abram is told to leave his house and step into a new land. I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. All nations will be blessed through you. He gets to the new land, and he realizes, in this new land are my enemies. They want me dead. But I can't go home because in my old land is a family that I've turned my back on. And they, 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 I can't go back home. Uh, to quote my, my missionary friend, I feel stuck. What do I do? Um, have you ever felt stuck? Like uh, the land God promised you, like it felt like you're following God's call. I got to chase this call. And then you get into this new land and it's not what you thought it would be. But when you think about returning home, well, you can't just go back either. You ever feel stuck? I have a, I have a friend who, when this happens, he will jokingly but not jokingly say, yep, welcome to the terminal. And uh, the, the reference he's making is from a movie from the early 2000s. He's probably got to update his reference. But uh, do you remember the movie The Terminal with Tom Hanks? Remember this movie? Two, early 2000s, I think 2000, 2004 maybe. Um, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. I, I highly recommend it. So it's a really entertaining, engaging, heartwarming movie. Um, but the movie itself, uh, so the movie centers around this guy named Victor Navorsky. 
uh, Tom Hanks, um, Victor Navorsky. Uh, he is a traveler from the fictional country of Krakosia. You remembering this, like dusting it off? You got, got that memory in there. Um, Krakosia. Now, what happens in the movie is uh, Victor Navorsky, Tom Hanks, travels from the Krakosia to the uh, airport, um, the JFK International Airport in New York City. And when he gets to the terminal, he sees on the news that his homeland, Krakosia, Krakosia is under a military coup. Like they're, they've, trying to, they've overthrown the government, meaning he can't go home. They're, you can't get a flight home if the government's not recognized. However, so flights have been stalled back home. However, the, his, his passport is no longer recognized as a valid passport in the United States. I don't know if this could actually happen. I don't know, that, I don't know how that all plays out. But in the movie, it plays out. Um, he's not welcome into the United States because his passport like, doesn't work. It's not rec- his country's not recognized. So he's stuck. Can't go home. Can't go into the new land. He's stuck in the terminal. And uh, the movie then centers around all these relationships that he builds and friendships he builds with the the crew of the terminal. Uh, And it's really heartwarming. Um, But, so my friend will say, but those moments where you feel stuck, yeah, welcome to the terminal. It's when the land behind you is not an option and the land in front of you feels like a terrifying option. Um, um, It's the moment where... uh, um, she's dating this guy, and she, she knows he's probably not the best fit for her. Her parents have told her this. Her friends have told her this. They've all said, you, you um, maybe they've used the word, you're settling, um, or maybe they've used the word, uh, like, he's just not the, you deserve somebody who treats you better. And, uh, and you've, she's denied it, but, uh, but inside she knows they're probably right. And the thought that she would have to spend another Christmas Eve, Christmas Day alone, or another New Year's Eve looking at social media posts of all of her friends with their people alone, Um, another weekend alone, well, that's terrifying. She can't go back. Can't go forward. Welcome to the terminal. Uh, or uh, as a family, they've been planning uh, spring break. And life's been crazy, right? It's the, the young kids shuffle from sport to sport to sport to sport. And, uh, and so they haven't really been able to connect as a family, but they have this spring break. And for the first time in a while, they're all going to be able to spend spring spring break together, and they've been really excited about this spring break because it'll be a time to reconnect. And then on a uh, seemingly random Sunday, in a seemingly random week in the middle of a Michigan winter, while they're eating a a random dinner, uh, their their, uh, child, their oldest, begins to shake. He's having a seizure. Over the next few hours, they move from their kitchen to an an ambulance, to the emergency room, to the ICU. And now it's spring break week, and they're still in the ICU. The problems that felt real feel now silly. But they can't go back. And they also, the, the future is in many ways terrifying. 
welcome to the terminal. Um, or uh, how about this one? We re- resonate with this one, I'm guessing. Um, she's driving home from work, and she hears on the news uh, another tragedy has happened in another school, and um, she thinks about her own kids, and uh, it sinks in that... Um, here's the question she's asking. Do I prep them? Feels like the responsible thing to do as a parent. Feels like I should probably say something to my kids as a parent because they're probably going to talk about this at school, so I should probably say something. However, if I prep them, am I planting a terrifying idea in their head? They're too little. I don't want to scare them. I don't want to traumatize them. But the thought of not, well, that's terrifying. What do you do? Welcome to the terminal. It's the place of stuckness. Uh, they, they, um, their last child, they, they've got to drop this last child off to college. And the last couple of weeks have been all kinds of noise uh, from laughing and telling stories about the last 18 years to yelling at each other. I'm an adult now. Don't tell me what to do. Fights. Uh, from picking out stuff for the college dorm to, uh, to, to, like, you can't tell me what to pick out. Like, it's just been noise, noise, noise. And then they load it all up in a minivan, and they drive off to college, and they uh, unload it all off in her dorm, and they do the goodbye hug thing. And now they're back in their minivan. They pull back in their driveway. They sit back at the dinner table that they've had the board games and the fights and all these years at. And they realize for the first time, We've been parenting for the last two or two and a half decades, has been devoted to kids. And now, what was such a loud house, you would crave a moment of silence, just a moment of sanity. Now, you're looking at each other and realize it's just quiet. And then the terrifying thought sinks in that we've, we've really only talked about parenting for the last two and a half decades Will we still have anything in common? Is there anything for us to talk about? The future, you can't, the past, you can't go back to. The future looks terrifying. Welcome to the terminal. Welcome to the terminal. Uh, Abram can't go back. Also, the idea of moving forward is a bit terrifying. It, these enemies don't want him there. Um, now, perhaps you're thinking, uh, this is what I always want in a, in a story like this. Uh, this is the part where um, the shiny red bow ending happens, right? Abram, God says, go. He's a man of faith. He's a man of character. He's going to go. And he steps out in courage. God, it's, he's got some rough bumps. He's got some rough patches, sure, of course. All journeys do. But God promised him he'd be with him. He promised him he'd bless him. He'd promise he'd curse whoever he cursed. So, this is the part of the story where God says, see, I told you I'm faithful. And, uh, and the story ends with this, this shiny red bow ending, and we all get the happy ending we want. I expect when I'm watching The Terminal that at some point, Tom, the, the movie needs like the, the drama, but at some point, Tom Hanks is either going to get to go back home or into the United States. You don't live in The Terminal. like It can be done. I expect the shiny red bow. Do you remember the promise that was over, over Abraham? Uh, seven different promises. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Those who bless you, will, um, I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Seven promises. So I'm expecting, here's the time, God. 
show up. Uh, And then we read this. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Builds an altar. Where are you, God? And then we got silence. And then he leaves. And he goes, again, this is one of those details, easy to read over, um, unless you've been to Israel or Arizona. Okay, so this is the Negev. Uh, The Negev is desert. Let me show you a picture of the Negev. Uh, It's pretty. It's very pretty. You don't want to live there. Uh, Here's another image of the Negev. Again, it's stunningly gorgeous. Um, I love taking groups to the Negev. You don't want to live there. The Negev in the Bible is, is referred to as a dry and thirsty land. Um, a wasteland, one, the author Isaiah refers to it. The Negev is a place that people go to die. Not much lives in the Negev, not even vegetation. Not much lives in the Negev. It's the desert. Give you the story again, recap. I'll bless you. You'll be a blessing, all nations. Okay, here I go. Courage. Um, You get one foot in, you meet enemies. I can't go back, though. I've left. Severed the ties with the bait of. God, where are you? I'll build an altar. Call on the name of the Lord. Where are you, God? Crickets. And then into the Negev. Into the desert. Uh, here, let's break it even worse. Because it gets worse. It keeps getting worse. Uh, happy spring break. Um. Abraham travels from the comfort of the city to the hostile territory, city to the desert. All for what? What's, the, what's behind the promise? So we say he trusts the promise of God, he trusts God, but what's behind the promise? The, the main thing. There's actually three things behind the promise. God promises him land. It's filled with other people. God promises him influence. He's in the desert. God promises him children. Okay, that one last one. Okay, that one's the most like, if you're Abraham, what are you thinking? I left everything for what seems to be seemingly an impossibility. (laughs) Why is it an impossibility? I'll give you two reasons, if you're Abraham. Now, we know the end of the story, so we know, like, but God will give him kids, and it's okay, don't go there yet. Um, Let Abram be a human first. Um, How old is Abraham when he steps out? Text tells us. 75. Uh, Sarah, his wife? Roughly the same age. 75. Imagine, even even if you could have have kids, imagine parenting, changing diapers at 75. Some grandparents are like, I do. Uh, Imagine sleepless nights. Imagine imagine childbearing at 75. Okay, that's issue number one. He's very old. Uh, Well, if you're 75, he's... Kind of old. Uh, 75. Second major issue. Very first thing we hear, we, we read in the text about his wife, Sarah. Very first thing. She's introduced in your text as Sarah. She's barren and can have no children. She can't have kids. God promises the future. You're going to have all these offspring. Uh, that's exactly what he says in verse 7. Uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. Okay, what offspring? 
right? Like, how if you're, how, 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 if you're Abram, do you not get a little bit angry? How do you not, again, allow him to be human. How do you not let it sink in? Like, God, did you set me up? It feels like you ripped me off. You promised me this future. If you step out into the land, I'll show you the land. You promised me a future, and here I am. I'm in the future. And now but they don't want me here. Oh, you, uh, your name will be great. To who? I'm in a desert. To your offspring will go the land. My offspring? I called on you, God. You didn't answer. I just kept moving then. I went through the land, and then I kept going further south because I'm, where were you? Can't go home. I already left that. So to quote my missionary friend, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do we do when we feel stuck? The life that we left feels like we can't go back. The life before us, the promised land does not feel so promising. Uh, And what do you do when it feels like, especially, I don't know where you are, God, in this moment. I don't see you. The first step of faith, last week, we talked about the courage Abram would need to take a step out of his homeland. But for Abraham, Abram, to to continue to step is not going to take courage. It's going to take something far deeper. It's going to take character. He's going to have to do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, this plays out interestingly. I, we won't go through the whole story because it's way too long. But uh, Genesis 13 and 14 in your devotional, we'll have you read it uh, this week if you're following along. Um, but let me give you the cliff note version. Genesis 13, Abraham doesn't have any kids, but he does have a bait off. There is someone who can fulfill the promise God gave him. His name is Lot. He's his nephew, but he's part of the bait off. Maybe God will fulfill my promise his promises to me through Lot. So they go into the land, he and his nephew, and he lets his nephew choose the best land first. Lot chooses land, but there are other people living in this land. People that the Bible doesn't speak so kindly about. We'll talk more about these people in a couple weeks because there's a whole story about these people. But Lot ends up moving into twin cities known as Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the reference? Okay. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll come back to that. Um, That's chapter 13. Chapter 14. Abram's now somewhere else. There's a war that breaks out. It's Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple neighboring cities, five cities and five kings, fighting over land with four other cities. The four other cities defeat the five cities, including everything in, they take everything in Sodom and Gomorrah including Lot. They haul him away. He's a prisoner of war. Someone tells Abram, your nephew's been taken. Your bait of is under attack. Abram, this is where the story, let's just read the story. It's, it's an incredible story. Abram goes full on Rambo, John Wick, insert your favorite ugh, guy. Uh, he goes full on like rampage goes on a rescue mission to get Lot back. And he 
beats the other kings. He wins. The king of Sodom is so happy. Like, you, you just defeated our enemies. What do you want? And then this exchange happens. Uh, Genesis 14. King of Sodom said to, to Abram, give me, the, give me the people and keep, for yourself, keep the goods for yourself. And then Abram says this. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of the heavens and the earth. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to, to Aner, Ashkel, and Mamre. Let them have their share, but I'll take nothing. Abram essentially says, my concern is that you're going to think I got this victory, that I'm the hero, but I'm not the hero. I didn't get it through my own strength. I believe God gave me this victory. That is character. Let me highlight three things very briefly. Uh, three things about Abram's character that I think, if you find yourself stuck in the terminals of life, we, we may be able to take as uh, notes for ourselves. Uh, three things that change the world. Number one, be honest always. If you're finding yourself stuck, be honest always. Here's a question to ask. What can't you control? Be honest with that. Abram can't control uh, how his parents respond to him. Abram cannot control whether or not there's enemies in the new land. He can't control the temperature of the desert. He can't control that. Uh, What can't you control? You can't control how people desire you, how they see you. You cannot control somebody else's heart. You cannot control whether they accept you. How much anxiety, sleepless nights, tears do we shed trying to control things that we can't control? We just can't control them. And what can you control? What Abram knows here is he can't control a lot of his circumstances, but what he can control is he can choose to be honest, even if it costs him. Think about what it costs him. Lots is bait off. If he says to the, the king of Sodom, Hey, I fought this victory. Just give me Lot. Take everything else. Give me Lot back. I got this victory. I won. It's a slight bend of the truth, but you could maybe justify it. Like, yeah, well, that means kind of true. He refuses to do that. He knows I will not steal glory from God. He's the one. And if he got me through this far, he'll get me through the end. I can't do it on my, I can't force the conclusion. Be honest always. I've been trying to follow this advice. Uh, I've, I've been repeating this to myself. Be honest always. Be honest always. I think what often happens for, um, for many people is we find ourselves in this spot where it's like, well, I can get away. I can embellish the story a little bit. You know, it makes, it makes the story more fun and I can justify it to myself. Uh, and it's about, you know, like, and I, I look better in the story. Um, but it's, it's just a little lie. I can get away with it. Here's a quote from, uh, I love this quote, from Coach John Wooden, uh, John, uh, great coach. Um, he says this. He says, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Have impeccable, own all of the lies. Own them all. Here's the thing. Yes, it will help others trust you, but you could probably get away with a lot, Honestly. But 
You may not trust you. You may not trust you. Be the kind of person who can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm an honest person. I'm a follower of God and I'm an, I'm an honest person. I do not lie. I do not embellish. Now, are there uh, grandmas, 98, on her deathbed and wondering if she still looks good in a bikini? Fine. But the other 95% of the time, just be honest with all the things. Just be honest with all the things. If you have those kinds of things where, yeah, I've said and I've said that, just own them. Just own them. It, it's a better way to live. That's number one. Number two, <clears throat> put your uh, future goals above your current comfort. This is, this is what Abram does. Um, he lets Lot pick first. Doesn't have to. Lot's part of his bait off. He understands that what he's building here is not just a comfortable life. What he's building here is going to be played out through lots. At least we'll learn later it's actually through Isaac, but in his mind, it's going to be through lots. He puts that goal, that future, before his comfort. Uh, the word we use in our culture is the word legacy. Think about your legacy. What I don't like about that word legacy, I like, I like it and I don't like it. Here's what I don't like. Often when we hear the word legacy, we think, how will people think about me in the future, like after I pass? The sad reality that many of us have already, like we figured out, um, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us this reality, is no matter what you do, they're going to all forget you, <laughs> right? Like there's very few people uh, that, that name makes it long-term in the history books, three generations after we pass. It, but what I like about the word legacy is it's less about what do I have to do so that people will remember me and more about how can I live as a, as a person of faith? How can I live that sets the world up better for those after me? They may forget me, but can I give them a better life? Can I set something up in my life that gives them a better life? Can I do something in my faith that allows faith to be better news for them in the future? That's number two. Lastly, number three. Uh, this one's key. Um, build an altar. <laughs> I don't mean that literally. Um, but build an altar. Do something that helps you remember what's true. Do something that helps you remember what's true. Write something down. Take a picture. Keep a journal. Whatever you do. Um, but there are times in life where we see God. And then there are times where it's hard to see God. What you would notice in the story, um, I'll just throw it up on the screen, I won't read it, but what you notice in the story is Abram will again and again go into a new land, call on God, build an altar, uh, and then eventually he finds himself in the desert, comes out of the desert, and he goes back to the altar and calls on God again. There are times in your life where you are in worship. Um, again, this is just humans. You're singing songs, and... Uh, it's like you and God are just, direct, you have a direct line. The song lyrics just kind of wash over you and into you. And it's like, I feel God. He's like right here. Um, a sermon, like just something about a sermon just connects. And it's like, I need, God, I needed that. Thank you. Uh, there are times when your prayer life is like, I pray and it's like, it feels like I could just do this all day. I'm talking to God. It feels like, I, it just feels like I got this peace that comes over me when I talk to God. And then there are times where you're singing songs and it's like, another verse? Come on, Jared. Um, or seriously, Tim, it's lunchtime. Let's go. 
All right, this is just this is reality. Uh, there are times where you are praying prayers and God's right there. And then there are times where you're praying prayers and it's like, am I just talking to myself? Is that all I'm doing? Is this just me talking to myself every night? Is that the game we're playing? In the moments where we do feel God, it is really, 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 really important that we do something um, to prepare ourselves for the moments where we won't see God. If a song connects with you, download that song. Don't just be like, that was a great set, Jared. Download the song. Ask for the sheet lyrics. I don't know. Like, get the song. If a sermon connects with you, file that sermon. Because you will go through, I will go, we go through seasons of life where we just feel like we're in a desert. Where are you, God? And we may need to be reminded that God hasn't abandoned you. Just because you don't see him here. Just like Abram. God hasn't abandoned you. It's Palm Sunday. Over the next week, we will journey with Jesus. Uh, and next week, we'll, I want to show you how these two stories of Abraham and Jesus intersect in a really beautiful way. Um, but uh, for those of you who are in the terminal, this Sunday is a reminder that Jesus himself willingly enters into that in-between space. And uh, the language of the scriptures is that he does it for the joy set before him. And what's the joy set before him? How do we keep character? Be truthful. Um, Put your future before your current comfort. Remember God is with you. Find ways to remember that. Let's pray. Uh, Lord. Uh, I, uh, on this, on this um, Palm Sunday, Lord, we do pray that you would remind us again that your love extends so deep and so wide that you would, uh, you would leave everything for us. And not only, Lord, would you leave everything for us, you would leave the Be'av of heaven, Lord. You would um, declare us to be your children in your new Be'av. And then, Lord, you would go on a rescue mission for us that is the most epic love story this world has ever heard. And then, Lord, you would send us into the world uh, as, in, as your children, as your ambassadors to welcome everyone back in. Lord, would, would we not forget that? And if, for those who feel stuck this morning, would we not forget that it is your love that rescues us? Uh, Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.